Hello and welcome to the Complete Health Podcast, the podcast that brings you a complete view of healthcare, exercises, medicine, and much more. We're your hosts, Helen O'Leary and Reese Noble, both physiotherapists at Complete Physio and Pilates in London. This is episode 16, a COVID special episode with respiratory physio Emily Lockwood. This is the first of our two-part COVID series with Emily, with episode one being aimed at COVID patients. But don't worry, it also has some great info for therapists who are caring for people who are post-COVID too. Emily tells us exactly what a respiratory physio is. Then she speaks in depth about the effect COVID is having on the body and the importance of not pushing yourself too hard when returning to exercise post-COVID. Hello and welcome everyone to the Complete Health Podcast. I'm your host, Reese Noble, uh, and as always, I'm here with my wonderful co-host, Helen O'Leary. Hello, Hello. Helen. How are you? Very good. How are you? I'm, I'm, yeah, I'm quite good, actually, trying to keep warm in this uh, current London winter. <laughs> and uh, today we have a really special guest, uh, and especially for the current times with what's going on around the world, we have uh, Emily from Air Physio. <laughs> Hello. Yes. I had a bit of a brain fart there. Oh, you did, um, really, didn't you? I did. Um, so for those of you that don't know, Helen and I work at Complete uh, Physio and Pilates here in London. And Emily's one of the excellent renters that we have that works very, very closely with us um, at our Chelsea clinic. Uh, and she's a wealth of knowledge on all things respiratory physio. So mm-hmm. we're going to dive into uh, COVID at the moment. And we're going to go through two episodes with M. The first one will um, be for a real resource for patients, for people who have had COVID and are uh, dealing with uh, what comes afterwards. And then episode two with M will cover, it'll be more for people like Helen and I who are therapists who might be treating people who have had COVID and the best way uh, to guide them through their recovery. So first off, M, thank you very much for joining us and giving up your time this evening. We do appreciate it. Pleasure. Thanks for having me. So to start off with, who is Emily? How did she become a respiratory physio? And really, what is a respiratory physio? We'd like to know. Okay. So um, first off, I think I, like most people, I never wanted to be a respiratory physio when I was at uni. (laughs) Uh, It was the last thing I wanted to do when... um, I did my placements. I didn't particularly enjoy it. I thought, oh, all respiratory physios do is deal with phlegm. And that's something that I'm not interested in at all. Um, And I think it was it was only in my junior rotations um, once I'd qualified, which for those of you who don't know, when you qualify as a physio, you're advised to do uh, different uh, you're advised to get a job in in um, areas of different physio really so that you rotate around all the different areas like neurology and um, pediatrics and respiratory being one of them so it was only during my first respiratory rotation as a as a junior physio that I really um, enjoyed doing it and that was at the fabulous Royal Brompton Hospital up the road mm-hmm. from the Chelsea Clinic um and so it was it was the staff that I worked with there who really led to me wanting to pursue a career in respiratory physio really um and I started there back in 2012 it was so quite a while ago um and I've been there ever since um 
but it's only been in the last four years that I've set up private practice. So air physiotherapy was born um, back end of 2016, but really kicked off in 2017. Um, and I started off on my own going out and seeing patients at home, um, uh, patients with mainly respiratory disease. So that can be conditions such as COPD or asthma or bronchiectasis, cystic fibrosis. You might have heard of some of those conditions. Mm -hmm. um, and I started doing that in my own time outside of my NHS work at the Brompton. Um, and as time has gone on, the, the service has grown really um, on its own um, through interest from lots of consultants, um, not only at the Brompton, but in other areas or in other hospitals in London and now um, we've got a team of about well two more coming on board this this month we've got a team of five physios um, who do not only home visits but we've got a couple of clinics one um, at Complete Physio and Pilates in Chelsea and one on Wimpole Street um, and we're doing lots of virtual consultations like many other people <laughs> uh, at the moment as well so um, we offer all kinds of um, different consultations and um, different services, which I think maybe we could we will talk in a little bit more detail about. Um, but yeah, that's where we that's where we are at the moment. So we're going to dive straight into the question that seems to be on every front page, every newspaper, everybody's lips at the moment. Um, we're going to talk about COVID. So first question is quite a big one. Um, so can you explain to us exactly what is COVID and what kind of physical effects that people might see if they've had it both long-term and short-term? Yeah, so as everybody I'm sure is aware, COVID is, is a, a virus which is an airborne virus. So it is contracted through um, the nose, the mouth, the, the it can actually enter through the eyes as well. Um, and... Uh, that's why there's so much focus really on um, people wearing masks at the moment to to protect themselves from that virus being within the air. Um, <laughs> nice demonstration. <laughs> Reese, as he puts on yeah, his visor. Putting his visor on. Um, and this virus, uh, we're still learning about, uh, really. Um, and and certainly I'm, I'm not going to, to tread on any doctor's toes or, or anything like that in terms of explaining the the ins and outs of how that um affects the 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 respiratory system and, and the cardiac system on a pathological level but um things that i'm sure everybody has heard of in terms of the way that this will affect somebody is that in the kind of immediate term when somebody gets covid the body will have an immune response to that virus and what will happen is people might experience symptoms such as shortness of breath. Um, they might feel incredibly fatigued. We're hearing that the symptoms are uh, mimic what, what might feel like flu. Um, so people might have bod like joint aches and pains. They might have a bit of a cough and that cough is not normally a phlegmy cough. So in my day to day work, I deal with a lot of patients who have phlegmy coughs. But in this situation, um, patients aren't necessarily getting phlegmy coughs. Um, 
And for me, um, the shortness of breath in particular and the fatigue has been a big problem for the patients that, that we're seeing in the longer term. And, and that kind of brings me on to the longer term uh, symptoms and effects that this virus has, which again, we're, we're learning about, but ultimately the symptoms which are longer lasting, and when I'm saying longer lasting, people are, are kind of um, talking about long COVID being symptoms that persist after 12 weeks of the initial viral exposure. And typically these patients are experiencing long-term shortness of breath, decreased exercise tolerance, fatigue, sleep disturbance, brain fog, things like this. Um, and again, we're learning about that as a, not only a, a profession from you know, physios, but all the medical professionals, we're learning all over the world about how this is affecting people and how to manage it. So it's really an, an evolving situation and process. Yeah, and how is it, I mean, you know, you especially early doors, I guess people were comparing it to the flu. Uh, just the regular flu. How does it seem to differ from that? And, and, and why is it having a different effect? Or do we know? Yeah, good question. Um, I mean, I, I, ha I haven't had it. My, my dad actually had it over Christmas. He it's a bit of a, it's a bit of a kick in the teeth. He got diagnosed with COVID or he got his positive test back on Christmas Day. So, yeah, and, and actually kind of going off, I, I've been speaking to him and I say keeping a close eye. I haven't seen him, but been keeping a close ear on him ever since. And, and the way that he's kind of described it, how it differs from from any kind of flu illness that he's had before is that. Um, so the taste is a big one. And I, I think you've probably heard a lot of people saying, well, we either lose your taste or you lose your sense of smell. He didn't lose his sense of taste, but he said that things tasted different. So he'd, he'd have a cup of tea and it wouldn't taste like a cup of tea. It would just taste a bit off. Um, he Hard had for an Englishman to, uh, to deal with. Yeah. <laughs> to I, mean, I actually tea. don't like tea, so. <laughs> Ooh, <laughs> um, but yeah, he said it, it, it didn't, it just didn't taste like tea. Um, the joint pains and the, the aches, which you would normally get from flu, he, he said that were quite consistent with, with how he might have felt with, with a flu-like illness. But I think also the tight chestedness, so people are, are feeling um, a tight chest, they're having this irritable dry cough, which again, you might not get with flu. Um, mm. So I think the, the main thing really that, that I'm saying to patients in terms of how it differs is the effect that it has on the respiratory system, because we know that this is a respiratory virus. So it's things like shortness of breath, tight chestedness, cough, those things that seem to differ from what I've heard from a normal flu-like illness. And I think- uh, Sorry, sorry, go ahead. Go. So I think one of the things as well is, is like you say, Emily, we are learning about this all the time. So we, this maybe started to come into the press about a year ago. I mean, in the UK, we probably didn't really start talking about it till mid-Feb. So actually these kind of long COVID symptoms and how is it affecting people long-term and that sort of thing, we don't actually know the answers because we're still waiting for those first kind of group of people a year ago who got it to still sort come of present and, and yeah, and come through and see and, and how they've progressed or not progressed or what they're still struggling with, what they got over really quickly and easily. 
Um, so we're still trying to find out all of that as well, which I'm guessing makes your job quite difficult. Yeah, definitely. And I think, I mean, even now I'm getting people come through who maybe had symptoms in March, April. So those are the, the you know, if we're saying, where are we now? Beginning of January, that's like a lag time of what, nine months, mm. eight or nine months for those patients to get to me. Now, in that time, there are some that will come through quicker, but in that time, majority of them have not only had COVID symptoms initially for the two weeks or the month or however long it, it took, they've then gone to maybe their GP 12 or 16 weeks later. They've then been through a battery of tests with respiratory consultants or cardiac consultants to rule out any underlying long-term conditions that they might have been left with, which then hopefully all those tests have been fine so their heart and lungs are healthy and then they end up coming to somebody like me so so yeah it, there is a big lag between when somebody might have the virus um, to when they might be diagnosed with long covid or come into contact with somebody like myself or one of my colleagues mm. just a bit of a question without notice the, the smell and the taste aspect of it is, mm. do they know why I don't know. They might do, but I don't know the answer to that question, Reese. Sorry, they being the medical um, establishment. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So some people may do, um, and some of my colleagues might know, but I, I don't know the answer to that question. Yeah, I mean, I haven't heard anything about it. No, so. no. I hope it doesn't last long term, though. I know. I was just suddenly thinking, what happens if I can't drink tea if I get it? I mean, yeah. oh, my goodness. <laughs> taste. I mean, oh, it would just be terrible. So I really hope it doesn't. I, I mean, I think for some people it is lasting longer than just kind of the first few weeks. So I really hope that it comes back for them. <laughs> So I'm getting back um, into obviously um, for, for patients or for people who might be experiencing COVID symptoms. Part of this obviously is the respiratory aspect of it, the shortness of breath and things like that. Is there things you're advising people to do while they have it to maintain their lung function or to keep their lungs, I guess, strong while they're while they're experiencing these symptoms? No, not necessarily. Certainly not in the acute phase now um back in march when when we were all in lockdown and um we were kind of hearing in the news and uh, in the media about patients that were struggling with breathlessness at home there was loads and loads of focus I don't know if you remember but there was loads of focus on um breathing exercises yeah. and people lying prone and that means lying on your tummy and things like that and there was quite a lot on social media that was shared um of, of people demonstrating various different things and there was a bit of a kind of uproar in the respiratory physio world um because we were kind of turning around and saying hang on a sec actually some of the things that are being recommended here are, are detrimental or not necessarily detrimental but they're only really applicable to certain cohorts of patients maybe with lung disease not with not not applicable to healthy people who have who have got covid now i think the main thing for people to think about if they have got covid they've got a positive test um and they've got respiratory symptoms so here i'm talking about shortness of breath and cough the main thing that people can try and 
do or be aware of is that we want that cough to stay dry. We don't really want it to become productive. If somebody has got an underlying lung condition, which means they have a normally day to day, their cough is productive. So this is conditions like cystic fibrosis, bronchiectasis. Some asthmatics end up with productive coughs at various times of the year. The best thing that they can do is keep their lungs clean and clear. So if they don't already have an airway clearance regime, so that that's breathing exercises to keep their chest clear provided by a respiratory physio, then they should get in touch with a respiratory physio or go via their GP to try and get in touch with one to make sure that they've got a regime in, in place to keep their chest clear. Now, the reason I'm saying that is because what you certainly don't want to get is a bacterial infection. So a, a bacterial chest infection on top of the virus, because that's going to impair your breathing even more and make your um, shortness of breath worse and potentially affect your your oxygen levels so that's the main that's one main thing i would advise again for somebody who doesn't have underlying respiratory disease if you're worried about the fact that you might have a chest infection on top you need to be looking out for things like are you coughing up phlegm that isn't normal for you if you are coughing up phlegm is it colored um, because typically it should be clear or white if it's yellow or green or brown. No, it sounds a bit crude, but if it's changing colour, then that's a sign as well that you might have a bacterial infection on top of this. So making sure that your chest is staying clear is really important. Um, other things that we're recommending, and um, this is something, again, which I I don't know how I feel about, about it, and, and and what I don't know how I, how I feel about is monitoring of oxygen levels. So mm. that is using a little, it's called a pulse oximeter. So it's one of those little things that goes on the end of your finger and it measures your oxygen levels basically. And in a healthy person, your oxygen level should be 88 to uh, 88. Nine, 98 <laughs> well, there you go, then call 999 <laughs> um they should be as close to 100 percent as possible really but anywhere kind of 98 99 100 is perfect mine is normally 90, 98 97 um so so a lot of people are saying you know get yourself a pulse oximeter now i don't I'm not necessarily recommending that to everybody and when I when my dad had COVID I didn't say you know jump on Amazon and get yourself a pulse oximeter because my fear is that it drives anxiety um, in a lot of patients when it's mm. an anxious time for people anyway um, and actually not everybody is getting the shortness of breath symptoms if somebody that I'm therefore saying to people okay so if you are um, noticing that your fingers are fe uh, feeling cold or they're looking blue, you're looking in the mirror and your lips are looking blue um, or you're you know, very pale, um, the, what that means is if your fingers are blue and your fingers are cold is that you're not getting enough oxygen to the ends of your fingers. We call it cyanosis. And that can be a sign of low oxygen levels. Now, if that is happening you would definitely need to have um, a medical opinion and you would probably 
um, either have called 111 already or they might have put you through to the emergency services. So if your breathing is really labored or you have got signs of cyanosis, then that is a reason why you would need a medical opinion. Um, but in terms of kind of breathing exercises and things like that during the acute period, it's not necessarily something that is, is needed. It's, you know, let your body recover loads and loads of rest, loads of hydration, eat as you can. I think people are losing their appetite, but, you know, eat um, as and when you can. Um, taking massive, great big deep breaths. I think a lot of people want to do that to check that they can get air into their into their lungs. There's no harm in doing that, but it's not necessarily going to um, improve your lung function uh, per se. Um, yeah. And you you mentioned acute phase so how mm. long is the acute phase so let's say you've got symptoms you've got a test by now we're probably looking at maybe five days before you've got your positive result so how long is the acute phase lasting yeah i i think ballpark it's about two to three weeks okay roughly and again that other people might say other things but typically from what from what I've heard in terms of patients having those kind of early, earlier symptoms, they're tending to last about that long. Um, and, and not everybody, I think it's important to say, not everybody will get the shortness of breath. You know, some people might get the shortness of breath, won't get the fatigue. Some people will get the shortness of breath, won't get the fatigue. So it's, it's not a given that if you get COVID, oh my goodness, I'm not going to be able to catch my breath. Um, so I think that's probably important to point out as well. We had um, it went through my house. Well, we're we're very suspicious that it went through my house in that basically two flats worth of people were all sick at the same time, and we played a bit of COVID bingo where not all of us we sort of ticked off all the symptoms between the eight of us, um, but none of us had them all. So it was quite interesting just in that small space that I think two or three of us lost taste and smell. Others had fever, you know, aches, those types of things. So it was quite an interesting, just small case study, I guess, that highlights that point that not yeah, everyone's definitely. going to get the full array of symptoms. Mm -hmm. So do you need to be, so Reese kind of spoke about um, exercises to maintain lung function. So if you have had a positive test and you have got that shortness of breath type chest, mm -hmm. do you need to be worried about your lung function or what's happening there? Um, I, it depends again. So I think, people will automatically be worried of course they're going to be I think as soon as somebody gets a positive test they'll probably be thinking oh my goodness you know there's been loads in the media about long covid how long are my symptoms going to persist for does it mean that there's going to be a long-term effect to my lungs the short answer is for the majority of people no probably not the only way somebody is going to know that for sure is whether they have lung function testing or whether they go and see a respiratory consultant. Now, that's only going to be indicated if somebody's symptoms are persisting. And by that, I mean kind of six to 12 weeks after their initial positive test or after their symptoms. Because we've got to remember that a lot of patients who had COVID in the summer probably were never tested. So they don't actually know whether they had COVID or not. Um, and then, um, if a patient ends up seeing a respiratory consultant, which a lot of these long COVID patients have done, then a respiratory consultant would want to do a number of different tests, lung function being one of them. And, and what lung function is, is it's when you 
essentially it's a, a blowing test and it looks at the amount of air that you're that you can forcibly exhale so that you can blow out um in one second and um, the total amount of air that you can blow out and um, in some patients we're finding that that is reduced but there's also a number of other lung function tests that can be um, affected as well which looks at the diffusion capacity of the lungs so what that means is the ability of the lungs to get oxygen from inside the air sacs within the lungs called the alveoli into the blood. Um, and for people who have have had COVID uh, are recovering, when, I guess when's a good indication for people as to when they should be getting back into exercise? Like obviously you've just said rest, look after yourself, lots of hydration. When they're starting to feel better, what's a good indicator of, for people as to when they can start getting back into some exercise? Yeah, this is this is a really good question and one which I think is really, really individual to each person. And um, initially, when um, as a physio profession, not just respiratory physios, but as a kind of physio profession last year, when we when we first started seeing some of these patients, albeit virtually, completely virtually at that time, the thought process was okay well kind of get moving that's what we do as physios isn't it kind of you know <laughs> get moving um and 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 a graded return prescribing a graded return to to exercise or a, a graded program now actually as time has gone on we found that and and it's 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 actually been driven by a lot of the physios who work with ME patients um, the a graded return to exercise is not always the way to sorry and what's what's ME ME stands for myalgic encephalomyelitis so it's like chronic <laughs> fatigue chronic Let's fatigue stick with ME. yeah <laughs> chronic fatigue or ME um so, um, yeah, it's the physios that work with that cohort of patients that kind of turned around and said, actually, you know, for, for because COVID patients are presenting like uh, long COVID patients, sorry, are presenting like chronic fatigue patients or ME patients, actually, the way to treat them is not to pr prescribe graded uh, exercise. So with that in mind, what that means is that um, what people shouldn't necessarily be doing is saying, okay, well, I'm feeling better. So I'm going to go and, uh, I don't know, do a two kilometer walk. And then the following day, I'm going to do a three kilometer walk. And then the day after that, I'm going to do a four kilometer walk, et cetera, et cetera. It should very much be slowly, slowly, slowly. And the reason for that is because there seems to be a bit of a lag in terms of um, when patients are feeling fatigue. So they might think, okay, do you know what, today I'm, I'm feeling better, um, my symptoms are improving, I'm not feeling quite so breathless, I've got more energy, I'm gonna go out, I'm gonna go on a walk, and then actually the following day or even the day after that, they're crashing and burning. And that is something that has um, been more and more evident as time has gone on. So, um, Although I think, you know, a lot of patients who are who are getting COVID 
um, or, or the ones that I'm seeing are ones that haven't been in hospital. They've been young, fit people who have kind of suffered at home, haven't had any medical interventions. They're all people that um, want to get going again and they're quite motivated and they want to get back to what they've been doing before. But actually, I think as a physio's, our as physios, our role or a large part of our role in this cohort of patients should be do you know what actually you really shouldn't be overdoing it at this stage you should be kind of we're advising people to keep a symptom diary so I know that sounds like a bit of a bore but it's really useful in terms of patients uh, writing down what they have been doing almost to the hour you know I, I got up I had a shower I made some lunch I did this that and the other and scoring how fatigued that makes them feel because mm. I'm talking to people a lot about the fact that we have a certain battery level and we recharge like on our phone and we recharge our phone overnight every night and that recharges our battery. Now, what is happening with patients post COVID is that that battery level is diminished before we even start. But normal activities like cooking, cleaning, washing is depleting that battery level a lot faster than it would have pre-COVID. So if you're then going and thinking about doing a two kilometer walk or whatever, like I mentioned, that's gonna deplete that battery level even more and it's gonna take you a hell of a lot longer to recharge it. So there's no one size fits all. And I think if somebody is wanting to get back to exercising and they're not sure how, they should speak to a physio for some advice. I think that's quite interesting because um, obviously normally for like a musculoskeletal rehab, if you've hurt your knee, then we'll sort of say, you know, do something two or three times, never increase more than 10% at a go. Um, but you can kind of slowly progress like that. But actually, you know, thinking the fact that you might, you know, walk down the stairs and, and be breathless and, and fatigued. And um, so I had glandular fever really badly when I was little. Um, I was like 18 and actually I remember getting to the bottom of the stairs the first time I got out of bed and no word of a lie my mum found me asleep at the bottom of my stairs because I was exhausted yeah. and actually if you're thinking about that battery analogy kind of having the fact that all your normal tasks loading the dishwasher doing your you know dishes all of that sort of stuff is depleting it and then if you go out and do activity then you're fatiguing yourself even more have you just taken yourself down which has opened yourself up to other things anyway exactly so you mentioned about a symptom diary in terms of fatigue. Would you get people to do that for breathlessness and things as well? Yeah, yeah, sometimes. Um, although the breathlessness seems to be more clear cut in a lot of patients. So patients will say, um, you know, I get symptoms after I've been up the stairs or actually it do I don't even have to be doing anything. I can just be sat watching telly and my chest feels tight and I feel like I can't get a satisfying breath and I can't get enough air. Um, so, yes, yeah, certainly. I sometimes say to people if they want to add in um, the breathlessness as well as a fatigue score, and it can simply be a... Uh, score out of 10 like we in, we'd call it a VAS a visual analog scale in the in the physio world which we use I think all physios use that in some form but it's easy for patients to understand as well so a score out of 10 for either breathlessness or fatigue and then we can look at patterns and think about how to increase um 
exercise slowly or should I say introduce exercise very very slowly um, and strategies to manage their breathlessness as well I, I, I actually and this is just my personal opinion this is not based on anything I think that the breathlessness as well contributes to the fatigue mm. because if somebody is over breathing and I'm talking more about again not the initial symptoms of shortness of breath but if the way and the mechanics of somebody's breathing becomes affected in the longer term then if somebody is working harder at breathing I think that that has a direct effect on that battery level that we were talking about mm. so it sounds like I'm maybe gauging people like 24 to 48 hour response rather than the way you feel on the day of doing certain activities yeah totally totally because there does seem to be this kind of post-exertional malaise if you like I think that's the the proper terminology Mm. um or a crash and burn that is happening 24 to 48 hours later and there's a there's a lot of um physios even and I don't know whether you've seen anything on Twitter or or use Twitter at all, but there has been physios that had COVID felt better, went back to work thinking, yes, graded exercise, you know, this is the way that we normally do things um, as any of us would have thought at that time. And then again, they just crashed and ended up in bed and back to square one and have needed loads of time off. So there really is this f- fine line of of overdoing it and i and I, I think it should be something that we as a profession tread very carefully with so if someone's kind of you know the initial two weeks sort of isolation they've had a positive test they've done their two weeks isolation and actually they feel quite good they don't really have any symptoms what about getting back into exercise then yeah i mean i think if they haven't had very many symptoms they haven't had breathlessness fatigue's not an issue then I don't see why they can't start off slowly I guess it depends what their fitness level was like before and how active they were before because anybody having a period of several weeks off I mean you guys probably know better than than I do are gonna get some form of deconditioning and 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 things so I I think yeah it depends how much they were doing before and maybe start off with going out on some brisk walks or interval walks um stair climbs things like that um some resistance work and and see how they go and again I think if they find that they are doing what they would class a a gentle workout and they're struggling then that's a sign that you know they need to rein things back yeah, and then by the sounds of things, then monitoring how that feels for in the two days afterwards as well, because yeah. Yeah, yeah. from what you've said, might feel absolutely fine at the time, but might be completely washed the next day. Yeah, definitely, definitely, all the yeah. day after, Rusia. Yeah, so I mean, that, that's I think that's massively important. I'll definitely take home from this is to keep that diary, that activity diary, um, so people because no one's going to be entering on the same at the same level, are they? So it's going to be very individualized for people definitely and like anything i guess start start short of the mark as to where you think you should be if you're starting back with exercise and because you'd rather be under the bar and work above it than uh, start above it and end up below it for sure and i think it depends what kind of like we were saying before what kind of personality 
that person is as well because the danger is is that if it's a person who likes to push themselves and wants to just go gung-ho straight Mm. back into it Mm. it's somebody like that that might need a little bit of um coaxing or education really around why it's not a good idea to to go straight back Mm. in and Yeah. yeah could cause some damage beautiful so final final question so if someone listening to this goes okay it's now been 12 weeks so i've kind of got what i've still got some symptoms so i'm kind of coming into that long covid phase what should they do if they haven't i guess it depends whether they've um whether they went to hospital or not in the in the first situation in the initial stages because some trusts depending on where people live would be under a follow-up team from a hospital anyway so if it was somebody that went into to hospital they um they would probably have a follow-up from a doctor anyway if it's somebody who hasn't which is the vast majority of people if they were just at home um the first point of call would be to go to your gp and say i'm still having symptoms the gp would then likely refer them on for um testing for their lungs and their heart so that's to a respiratory consultant and a cardiac consultant um and they would then go through those tests and depending on those tests that would dictate then that that path of treatment but it may or may not involve seeing somebody like myself a respiratory physiotherapist either from the fatigue and exercise tolerance side of things if that was an issue for them um or the respiratory side of things for something like a breathing pattern disorder if they're still getting shortness of breath okay so motto of the story is don't go on to instagram and start following people's breathing exercises (laughs) yeah yeah i mean you know they're all done with good intent of course they are nobody everybody just wants to help don't they but i think um there's a lot of things out there that that aren't necessarily going to do you any harm, but I think um, aren't necessarily going to help. The best thing people can do is keep their lungs clear, um, not to panic. If they are getting symptoms of shortness of breath and they think they've got low oxygen levels, then get some help. Good advice. Brilliant. Beautiful. Well, Em, thanks very much. As always, Helen, we've uh, we've run well over what uh, what we're expecting <laughs> to, but it's always great to get into chats with uh, with different people. Um, now, Em, if people want to get in contact with you, uh, what's the best way to do that? Um, they can go on our website. Our website is www.airphysiotherapy.co.uk or they can drop us an email at um, hello at airphysiotherapy.co.uk. We're on social media as well, Air Physiotherapy. Excellent. That's Instagram and other channels as well. And Facebook and Twitter at Air Physio London. Fantastic. All right. Well, thanks, Em. That was was really fantastic. Some great information in there. Again, as we said at the start, this first episode is very much aimed at patients, people who have had COVID. Um, so we hope for everyone that's listening in that situation that this has been helpful for them. Uh, episode two, which will be coming up very, very shortly with M, is going to be um, uh, 
channeled more towards therapists. So um, I know personally, I don't know how many you've seen, Helen, but I'm starting to get a few come through. Um, and it's just going to be nice to have some guidance for people yeah. uh, in our situation as to where what we should be doing with people, how hard to push people, where to start, those types of things. So yeah. uh, looking forward to that chat next. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks, Em. Thanks for having Bye, me. That concludes episode 16 of the Complete Health Podcast. For further information on the topic of COVID, particularly for the therapists listening, please listen to episode 17, which has been released in conjunction with this episode. As always, if you'd like to get in contact, please feel free to email in at either reese at complete-physio.co.uk or helen at complete-pilates.co.uk. We're also on Instagram with our handle being at Complete Health Podcast, which is all one word. For For another another week, stay healthy and goodbye. goodbye.